0: Well, good morning, C4 family. Really glad that you're here this morning, and I just want to make an announcement it was missed. If you're in fusion, thanks for hanging out with us. You can go now, back to where you've come from. All right, God bless you, all the tweens. Uh, we're really glad that you're joining us here this morning. I want to say a really uh, strong good morning to all of you watching and listening online, wherever you might be. Whether you're part of our community and you're serving this morning, you go to another church, you're online watching today, or you don't go to any church, you're welcome. And I want to say to all of you, no matter where you are in your journey this morning, Whether you are a doubter or a seeker or you've just become a Christian or you've been a Christian for a long while, God welcomes all of you and it is not a mistake that you're here this morning because God is about to speak and I hope every one of you has taken the time to prepare yourself to hear because God never wastes services or moments. He's always speaking. So let me take a moment to pray and then we'll get involved. Lord, this is your church, this is your word, we're your people Some of us are coming to check you out for the first time, but our ask is this, that the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, the presence of God, would now begin to work itself out here in this room and virtually online later. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. How many of you would admit that we watch too much television in our culture? Raise your hand. All right, yes. All right. Now, it's interesting, when you look at television and you think about it, many of us watch it, most of us do, I'm sure, that there are certain genres that seem to last Uh, From even before TV to radio, from radio to books, books to orality, there are certain themes that capture the imagination of the human creature. Now, one of them that is very common, which most of us, I think, watch or listen to, are Mysteries. We love mysteries, especially our culture, murder mysteries, and and we know this because of all the different programs. So let's see what you watched this morning. This is confession time. All right. Um, No, it's significant, though. Uh, Lots of us watch Castle these days. Anyone watch Castle? Right, okay. Uh, Murder, she wrote. Come on, raise your hand if you used to do that, right? Yes, Netflix, it's your friend. All right. Uh, CSI, 1 through 20, I'm lost. Anyway, we watched that. Uh, For you who are in a different generation, Columbo, I heard, was a big one. Um, Just want to say that. Uh, Criminal Minds, I can't even handle that. Uh, The Mentalist, Scooby-Doo, was my childhood trying to discover all things. Anyone? Scooby-Doo? All right. That's that big child again from the early... Okay, yeah. Uh, Monk is one that a lot of us watched. A Knight Rider... Was one? Okay, yeah. Woo! Okay. Uh, The Rockford Files, I don't know that one. Someone? Anyone? Oh, yeah, that's right, the Baby Boomers. Yes! Okay. Uh, Magnum, anyone? No. Oh, yeah. PI, all right. I don't know this one. Heart to Heart, anybody? Wow. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, There was another one that someone told me this week called Simon and Simon. Yeah, I didn't know that one. Uh, the Murdoch Mysteries, the old and new one. There was the lawyer one, Matlock, which I used to watch, of course, too. MacGyver, who could take a banana leaf and turn it into a helicopter, right? <laughs> right? Okay. Uh, Miami Vice, anyone at all? Yeah? Yeah, if you're dressing like them, it's okay. It's coming back. You'll be in style in about a year. Uh, Ironside, I heard, is an old one and now a new one on the BBC. Uh, then I'd never heard of this one. Uh, McLeod, like some cowboy on, right, in the middle of a city? Weird. Okay old. All right. Uh, Chips was one. Uh, I I didn't know that one. Then in the 30s and 40s, supposedly there was a murder mystery or a mystery called the thin man. I I don't know about that one. Uh, Get smart, the cone of. What's the cone? The cone of. Silence. All right. What are you telling me? To be quiet. Okay. All right. Uh, one of the new ones that's sort of edgy but really good is elementary. Anyone watch elementary? Okay, now it's interesting. Look at this. Look at the intensity. Turn to your neighbor now. Whether you know them or not, you can do this. If you a WestJet flight, do this. You'll, it's good. Do this. Turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, this is the one I love the most, movie or television. Go right now. Go ahead and do it. Up top two. All right, now I would like to point out the intensity of this crowd. There are TV executives somewhere just laughing. Yes, yes. Now, mystery is a big thing in our culture. Look at how we reacted to these different shows. And the reason why I bring this up as illustration is because the idea of mystery is where Paul is about to go in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, if you've got a Bible, virtual, physical, whatever, turn there and get ready. But one thing we always need to be careful of is that when we hear a word like mystery, we need to be careful because what it means today, what we think about because we watch all these television shows or we read the Hardy Boys or whatever you grew up doing, it does not necessarily mean that back then. We use the same word, but the meaning is different. Now, for Paul, mystery is a huge idea, a massive word, but it has nothing to do with what we all just talked about. Mystery is used 21 times by Paul in his writings, and it's used six times in the book of Ephesians alone. So, if someone who's under the inspiration of God himself starts repeating an idea multiple times, we should stop and listen. Now, mystery for Paul is the opposite of everything we just talked about. It is not, it is not, it is not solving problems by human ability. All the shows we just talked about have to do with self-discovery or ingenuity, I can't even say that word, ingenuity. There it is, ingenuity, where we gather together and we're really smart and we're going to work this problem out and we're going to solve it. But in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writing, it never means that at all. Actually, what mystery means in this Greek word is it cannot be understood, and it can never be grasped, and it can never be discovered by human ability or natural knowledge. No room for MacGyver here, in other words. The word means secret that can only be opened by God himself. Every time you see the word mystery in Paul's writings, stop and say out loud, loud, only God can show me that. See, everything in our culture about mystery is us discovering things by our own selves, where in the New Testament, mystery is a God-given secret that is revealed by him. Now, the question is, why all this mystery talk? Well, it's at the very center of Paul's understanding of the grand theme in the book of Ephesians and our theme for the year, unity. We're all in this together. Now, if Paul was here this morning talking to us at C4... He'd be saying, unity, unity, unity. That's why I wrote this book. This is what we're talking about. And as I've been sharing with you, he'd say, unity, everyone listen. Unity is not some goal in the local church. Unity is not some hope for ideal in the church. No, no, no. Unity is a real byproduct of having Jesus living among us. Let me say that again, unity is evidence that Jesus is actually functioning and being allowed to be involved in a church. It is not a goal, it is evidence of God. Now the mystery, the mystery that Paul's going to talk about this morning is this. The mystery is that the God who has created all things has chosen in his own sovereignty to reveal fully who he is, and then through that revelation, who is Jesus, bringing people that used to hate each other into one family and causing an unnatural unity. That is what the mystery is that Paul's going to talk about. The grand mystery of God is that God himself is no longer unseen or fogged in. This is now like an open secret. This is a love letter to a dark, sinful, trespass-ridden, spiritually dead, demonically owned world that there now is not only hope, but there is a new unity in humanity. By the way, before I get going, I just want to share this this morning. This has not yet come up in this series, but it's key. Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, this letter, from a prison cell. Did you know that? Paul is sitting, most likely in Rome, he's under house arrest, he's waiting for his appeal to come up, and he's going to probably face Caesar himself, and yet, while he's sitting in jail, he's not disappointed, he's not desperate, he's not burned out, he's not full of unnatural fear, he's not calling out for pity, he's connecting him rotting in a jail with God's great work of unity around the world, and he's celebrating it. So this is how he begins in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Hear the word of God this morning. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And Gentiles, as we've been learning, is a word for those who are not Jewish. He says, I'm sitting in jail right now because of my work to bring Jews and non-Jews together into a new unity and a new community through Jesus. Jesus. My fellow Jews, especially the religious ones, hate it. The Romans are getting threatened by it. The Greeks think this is crazy and nonsense. But for all of us who have said yes to Jesus, we know better, right? This peace, he says, I have experienced. This peace that we together have experienced with God is worth everything. It is worth my time and my money. It's worth my life. It's even worth my freedom. Why? Why is it worth such sacrifice? And Paul would say, do you not know, church? Do you not know that the greatest mystery of all time has now come to pass and it's the only thing that's going to last? Why wouldn't I give my life for this? Every generation before Paul did not get to see what we now take for granted. You're saying, John, this is more important than the discovery of the atom? More important than the discovery of penicillin? Like, yes. Well, how can you say? Let me tell you why. Because everything that we're discovering is found already in the created order. This mystery is the creator himself. And Paul is saying the heavens have opened up. And God is doing a new thing. And it is the thing that he's always wanted to do and has willed to do and it is affecting you. It says in verse 2, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. When I became a follower of Jesus, Paul would say, I wasn't just saved by grace alone. I was given another grace, another undeserved favor. I was given the great privilege to work alongside Jesus to tell all of you about him. He would cry out, I guarantee you, what amazing favor, oh, what amazing grace, and what great responsibility I have. The word is sort of weird for us in this sense, but let me break it down. This means he is like a slave or a servant overseeing a household. This is his job description given by God to him. And he says, do you know my story? Like, as I'm writing you as a church, and I'm writing the whole global church, do you, do you understand how different I am? Let me just stop to re-remind you what I used to be. Because if you remember what I used to be, if you truly understand the depth of what I was, you will understand why I love, I love the privilege of sitting in a jail writing you. Got a Bible, turn to Acts 9 real quick and just read it with me. This is Paul's summary of this revelation. Meanwhile, it says Saul, that was his name before he met Jesus, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, Christians. He went to the high priest, that's in Jerusalem, and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's the first name for Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, he fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They, they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus there was a disciple, and his name was Ananias. And the Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love this. Lord? Question mark? Really? Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he's come here with the authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call upon your name. Brackets, are you crazy, Jesus? This is me. He's coming to hunt me down. But the Lord said to Ananias, as he does, go. This man, here it is, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the non-Jews and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, that's Paul's story. And now, can you hear Paul? Can you see it oozing out of the book of Ephesians? Oh God, oh God, thank you that you would save me from myself. That you would save me from trusting in me. That you would save me from being so deeply religious and yet so far from you. That you would save me from trusting in everything but you. What a scary thought he'd say that God, I thought I knew you. How terrifying that I thought that I was actually working for you. And actually this whole time I was working against you. And yet in your mercy that you would let me see you, understand you, be embraced by you. And to live with you God, how could I not give up my life? For such a precious gift. See, C4 this morning, the good news is this. The mystery is solved. The truth of God, the nature of God, the personhood of God, the will of God is no longer hidden. The mystery is solved. The heavens are naked, the lost countries recovered in the face of Jesus. Jesus is the truth of God. Jesus is the personhood of God. Jesus is the will of God because Jesus is God. God is no longer hidden because God, because he is love, decided to reveal himself broke in, and came for us when we were not looking for him. Paul would say, I would have never seen God. I would have never understood God. I would have never accepted or even wanted Jesus. I hated Jesus. But then you, Jesus, the God I thought I was worshiping, you wanted me and you called me and God the Father, you elected me and Holy Spirit, you showed up and you blinded me for a moment so I could truly then see. And then, if that is not crazy enough, you decided to commission me to spend the rest of my life telling people I used to call dogs, when I used to spend my life spitting at the presence of non-Jews, you give me the privilege to spend my life spending my whole life telling my old enemies that there's hope for them too? Of course I'll do it. Because grace is so real to me. He said in verse 4, in reading this then, you'll, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God, by holy apostles and prophets. Do you see how God-centric this is? Do you see how compassionate this is by our God to break in? Because we could never do this. Let me give you another illustration. It's Christmas time. The invasion has begun, right? And all the time in every household that celebrates Christmas, there is a ritual of trying to discover a mystery. It is children trying to find the gifts that are hidden, right? Raise your hand if you tried doing that as a child. Raise your hand. Wicked people. Now you'd spend your whole time, right, trying to find the gifts. Now, I'm gonna put my glasses on. Raise your hand if you found them. Confession, elders prayer afterwards. We gotta work this out, right? So look, you, you discovered them, you, you found them. Now, Raise your hand if you lied to your parents and you told them you didn't find the gifts. Oh, yeah. 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 It's like under the Christmas tree, right? In my family, we put out gifts early. And you sit around the Christmas tree as a little kid and you're so excited, right? You're like, I wonder what that is. Now, in my house, you cannot shake, you cannot touch, you cannot blow, you can do nothing. But you're desperate, right? You want to do it. But some of you are wicked, wicked children, I know. Because you're the ones who went up, right? Like a surgeon, and you carefully went up and you lifted the tape off, right? Like this, and you opened it up just to see, and then you reinsert. Raise your hand if you're that person. Yeah. See, that is a mystery, though it was sinful, a mystery you could discover. It is something that you could do and find. And Paul is saying, don't you understand, you will never, ever be able to find me or unwrap me unless I choose it. It is that drastic. But when you understand that God chose to unwrap himself and decided to put himself out in public, it's so beautiful, it's powerful, it's life-changing, even for us who have been Christians for so long. Then he says, part two, the mystery is not that just God has revealed himself. There's more, verse six. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, non-Jews, are heirs together with Israel, members now of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ. He said, do you know how radical this is? This is now saying that Jews and non-Jews, were the same family, we have the same promises, and we have a shared inheritance. An inheritance is given to you when someone dies, right? You get something that is not your own when someone dies. And that is exactly the point. It's why they use the word Jesus died, but then he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, and he now gives us an inheritance. And like we found out last week, we together are now citizens of a new city. We together are members of a new family. We together are the building blocks of a new house. We together have replaced the temple in Jerusalem. We together are the church. Ephesians 2.15, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace and in one body reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put death, put to death their hostility. Jews no longer get, declare, get to declare that we're the focus of God. And non-Jews do not get to say, well, we're better than the Jews. See, this is the whole point. God has decided to create a new race, a new humanity. He has decided to recover Eden. He has discovered and attempted and now done something profound. He has decided to redeem the idea of Babel, where there will be one people who speak one language, and yet our language is now Jesus. No more hatred, no more racism, no more name-calling. It is not Jew first or non-Jew first, it's Jesus first. A third race, a new move of God, a new humanity through Christ. That is the second part of the mystery. That Jesus has reconciled us both with himself, that is God, and each other. And he has put us on friendly terms with each other. He has made us compatible with each other. He has restored all lost history. Everything we gave up and everything that was stolen, he has brought back and given more. So Paul says, after all that, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm the less of the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to non-Jews the boundless riches of Christ. When he was writing nun, another younger pastor named Timothy, this is what he said about himself. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. By the way, these two statements are not fake. They're not exaggerated for effect. This is not artificial or subjective. This is not some form of verbal self-injury. This is not self-hate in any form. See, Paul says, if you really know what you've been saved from if you really, really know that hell is real and the demonic are real and the world is real and trespasses are real and sinner, if you know how deep you were involved in trouble, if you truly acknowledge your former condition and he said, man, did I live that condition out as a deeply religious person, he says, of course, you'll end up saying things like this. I was a rabid Christian hater and now not only have I been saved, I get to spend my life telling others too. I love what he says. In the verse before where he says it is boundless, that Christ is boundless. In Greek, the idea is this. It's sort of like, imagine if you were going to try to track out a lake, and suddenly, as one said, you're tracking out the lake, and you realize it's not a lake at all. It's just the arm of an ocean. Like, Jesus and, and his work and who he is, is boundless. You can never trace him out by your own footsteps. He is so wide and deep and profound. He says, well, this is what I get to do. Although I am less of all the least of the Lord's people, this grace was given to me, he said, to preach to Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. He says, the mystery's over. God's knowable. God's reversed all our mistakes. Jesus has taken our sin and trespass. He's overcome the power of the world. He's bound the prince of the air. And that that Jesus would choose to take warring, ethnic, economic, religious, and social fractures and make a new community, a new humanity, a foretaste, a token of what is coming in the new heavens and the new earth. For anyone who's a Christian, wouldn't you say this morning, Christ is everything for us? No, I'm asking you. Yes. It's what Paul says in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew Jew. Or Gentile, slave free, male, female, we are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Every barrier that a society can put up is broken by Jesus right here. But Jesus, through Paul, is not done. I mean, that would preach, but he's not done. It's like Paul starts thinking even more. The preaching explodes off the page as he begins to trace out the implications of this grand move of God. And he cries out from the scriptures, church, there's more. There's so much more than you're seeing. See, don't you understand our peace and our unity in Jesus isn't just about you. The gift isn't just for us. No, no, this is the greatest of insults and the greatest claim of victory in front of the enemy of our souls. His intent, verse 10, was that now, through the church, now, right now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose that He accomplished in Jesus Christ our Lord. God calls the church His manifold wisdom Now, let me get a little nerd excitement here for a moment over the word manifold. Manifold means variegated. This was a word used to express the boundless and endless variety of colors you find in flowers, in fashion, and in the world. This is so powerful. This is what was used when they talk about a beautiful embroidered pattern. on This is what they used in the Greek version of the Old Testament for Joseph's coat of many colors. Understand the power of this so you know our unity. This word is saying that God is bringing such color into the world that he is bringing a deep, multicultural, multiracial, multigenerational, multi-gifted church, and its beauty and color is on display in front of who? Oh, right, the devil and the hordes of evil. For Paul, authority and dominion is a way he talks about the kingdom of darkness, It is a title for demons. And as we've been learning in Ephesians, Jesus is now above all rulers, and Jesus is stronger than all authorities, and Jesus is higher than all the powers, and Jesus is more mighty than any spiritual force that claims anything. And what did we learn last week and two weeks ago? That through Jesus, each broken, normal Christian is brought into a new community, and it says in Ephesians 2.6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now watch this drop. So we, the wisdom of God, we the color of God, we the diversity of God, we the beauty of God, we together are God's object lesson in front of evil itself. The demonic have to look at us. Our very existence reminds them of their defeat. It causes them to cringe every time they see a Christian. We are living examples of why they have always lost, will always lose, and will forever burn in hell. Our existence, our very positive possession, declares to the highest unholy power, you have lost, you will never be God, you will never storm heaven, you will never hold on. We are the billboard of God saying, you chose the wrong side before the beginning of time. Think about this. Every single Christian on earth is a declaration to the kingdom of darkness that the manifold wisdom of God cannot be stopped. We are God's artistry in front of all the enemies that hold us. This is accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is done under the will of God, and what is being declared here is what he has begun, he will end. And so, the people of God, the word of God, the temple of God, will outlast everything. Marxism, capitalism, militant Islam, Buddhism, New Age, materialism. You fill in the blank, religiously, theologically, philosophically. Jesus has declared this is done, this is realized, achieved, accomplished. God's will cannot be stopped. And so, Paul says... Since God's peace with us cannot be touched or threatened, and since God's love must bring us unity, and since we are God's outworking of God's own mystery, and since we are God's billboard, and since we together are God's masterpiece, then all out of that then, not one Christian should never shrink back from approaching the God who's done all of this. This is what he says. In him, this is is the fight this morning, by the way. If you're about to get distracted, it's about to happen now. In him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. His faithfulness over us and our faith in and through Jesus allows us access into the great mystery called God. We're sinful, yes, but forgiven, broken, but bought, dying, but living. We are a new people that can go where angels dare to tread with freedom and confidence. You as a Christian on your worst day, I mean your worst, worst day, tragedy has happened, you've messed up, you have sinned on the, no, no, on that day with boldness, freedom of speech, the absence of fear, shame, and guilt, you can approach the creator, the ancient of days and talk because of Jesus. It's what the author of Hebrews said. Hebrews ten nineteen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to be cleansed us from a guilty conscience, And having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is what? Say it loud. Not us. He is. Jesus is faithful, not us. This is not a future thing. This isn't the new heavens and the new earth. This is now. You can approach God on the subway, on the toilet, in church, anywhere. God is everywhere revealed to us through Jesus and we have access. And the power of this for Paul is, and that is why we have unity. You can never say to another Christian, Don't you know I'm so much better than you? Look at me. I've got access to God. And any Christian goes, So do I. Go team. This is unity in the church. When you start looking at each person and realizing that God has chosen not only to elect them, buy them, adopt them, and seal them, but every single one of us has access into the great mystery. How can you say you are better than any other Christian when God has given us equal access to him? Imagine the power of this being read for the first time in Ephesus. Again, that verse in Ephesians 2.18. For through him, we both, Jew and non-Jew, have access to the Father by the Spirit. So deeply revolutionary. As this is happening, as the audience is hearing this for the first time, being lifted probably so high, I'm sure some were sitting in the audience going, but maybe that's all true, but Paul, you're in jail. Like, this is lunch bag letdown 101. Like, Seriously? But Paul says in verse 13, this is where he ends, I ask you, therefore, don't be discouraged because of my suffering for you. You are my glory. You might be thinking, this is so terrible, I'm chained, and the guy who led us all to Jesus is in jail, and the gospel. Paul says, don't you understand? Don't you get this? This is why it was made. You're my glory that I, who have been bought out of such darkness, Not only get to encourage all of you, but I'm actually going to now go tell the gospel in front of the greatest leaders in Rome. Oh, what good and good God we have that he'd even love Caesar. Paul is deeply concerned about the unity of the church, the one in Ephesus and everyone since. And so let me say this this morning, and by the way, this is significant for all of us in different ways. The great mystery in this passage is that God in his own time has revealed himself through Jesus. God has fully revealed himself and is making himself known this morning. Let me say this, you know what? It is no mistake some of you are sitting here this morning or watching online. You are not Christians or you have the title Christian but you do not know the Jesus I speak about. And at this moment, through just one guy, one servant, and through a community, God is choosing to reveal himself to you. God is saying the mystery is now unfolding in front of you. And if you have never embraced God through Jesus Christ, you say, well, how do I do it? He said this in Ephesians 2. It is by grace you get saved through faith. This isn't from yourself. It's a gift from God. Not by works, no one can boast. You can't do anything to meet God other than say, I trust in Jesus. It is by God's mercy, God's love, God's work, God's invitation that you get to know Him. That you are made right with Him. There's nothing if you embrace Jesus between you and Him anymore. God is coming close to you at this very moment. You know He's there. You feel it. And God is coming and saying, it is time to embrace me. You've lived your life, your whole life, either trusting in yourself or being involved in darkness or being so good. But none of it gets you to me. Sit with this because in about two or three minutes, I'm going to invite you to embrace the great mystery through Jesus. And I'd ask now, Lord, hear my prayer. Holy Spirit, I mean this. Come upon those who need to be saved, really, and bring them close at this moment. But before we do that, church, there are two things I want to say as I end It's really critical for us out of this passage. Did you notice that we together are the mystery of God, unwrapped in a new unity? The great mystery is that Jesus has revealed God fully to us, and the second part of the mystery is church unity. It is the chief act of God. So let me say this. How significant do you think it is that we guard our unity in a local church, let alone with other churches? If this is God's baby and God's gift and God's great masterpiece, should we not be handling relationally our church with care, real care? Our unity is in Jesus. There's no doubt about it at all. Our unity is found in the authority of scriptures. Anything in the Apostles' Creed is not up for grabs. But when it comes to culture and musical style and tradition and second theological issues, that's fine. We need to do this. We do it as a church. Other churches do it. That's fine. But our unity is threatened usually by ego, personality, cultural preference, and lack of wisdom. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not unanimity. And unity is not full-out unification. We're not into robots in this movement. But what transcends everything in this church is Jesus. We may never write anyone else off in this church and say, you are not part of us. This text underscores the unity. I love when one person wrote this. If we do not proclaim unity, we do not proclaim the gospel. If we do not live in unity, we've missed the gospel's impact. The attitude we have towards others is fundamental. So here's my question this morning. I'm not saying we're not going to disagree. I'm not saying that we don't need to confront sin. I'm not saying we don't have to lead. But are there attitudes found right now in this house, among us here, towards other Christians, towards leaders, or towards other churches that are threatening God's baby? Because this is God's masterpiece. God takes His body very seriously. And if unity is the outworking of the mystery of God, which means it's connected to evangelism, oh, how we must handle with care. And so in the next minute or so, I'm also going to lead all of us in prayer to ask God himself to reveal if there is any person or attitude or historic event that we need to surrender or pray over so unity can be built in this church and among other churches. Let me say this again, because this is so important. We are no better than any other church in Durham. We are only one of many. God's variegated experience is welcomed in this area. Thank you, Jesus, for Pickering Pentecostal Church. Thank you, Jesus, for Calvary Baptist. Thank you, Lord, for harvest. Thank you for Hebron Christian reform. Thank you that we would have such a privilege to have many, many, many biblical outposts proclaiming Jesus in our region. How gluttonous we have become, and yet how blessed we are. Our unity can never be threatened. And God continually points out it's attitudinal that usually tends to threaten unity, relationally, on secondary issues, or culturally. God comes to us this morning, and says to some of us, it's time to meet me. To all of us, he says, guard my unity. But here's the last thing. Our unity allows us access together. And I would like to point out these two words right now. Freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. So many Christians do not walk in power Because you don't believe this is true. You don't believe it because your actions prove you don't believe it. The Bible says that you are welcome to walk into God's holy presence because of Jesus at any time. And you can do it not with arrogance, but of confidence. So my question this morning is, who are you allowing to form the truth in you? The devil will always say that you are never welcome in his presence. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Your own heart will accuse you. Your own heart will tell you regularly, you can't go talk to God today. It's what John wrote in 1 John 3.19. This is how we know we belong to the truth. Read this. How we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Let me just stop there. So many of you don't have rest in God's presence. Notice it. If our heart condemns us, your Christian heart condemns us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and God knows everything. The devil and your own heart and your family are going to say, well, you can't approach God. Don't you know what you looked at last night online? Don't you know your addiction? I know what you did 40 years ago that you're still keeping hidden. You can never stop being hidden, church. Approach God with boldness and confidence. If there's anything between you and God or someone else, pray about it. Ask forgiveness. Confess. Begin reconciliation. Because here is the point. When we begin to see that our unity provides opportunity to enter the most holy place, that is where change takes place. Renewal. Oh God, I come to you in prayer. Change me. Do anything you must. But if you don't have confidence, you won't pray it. You will not go before God and say, Oh God, I pray that C4 will never be the same. I am asking you to change every child, every teen, every tween, every young adult, every adult, every senior. I am begging you, oh God, for a genuine revival. You won't pray it if you don't have freedom and confidence. You will never enter the most holy place where angels dare to tread and say, Oh God, Durham is going to hell. You must move and reveal yourself because if you don't, all is lost. You'll never do it if you don't have freedom and confidence. It is the great barrier to revival and renewal and awakening when people don't pray and we don't pray because we do not believe what God has stated over us. But it is true. It is true. We have the right because of Jesus. It is where we pray, oh God, be hallowed. It's the place we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. It's where we invite His reign and rule into our life. It's where we ask daily bread. It's where we confess. It's where we're forced to begin to confess not only sin but forgive others. It is the place where we ask God to spare us from temptation, good and bad things we cannot handle. And it is the place we ask Him to overcome principalities and powers. Our unity says we have access, but we must access it regularly. And so at this moment, with those things on the table, let's respond this way this morning. And this is a moment because we don't just want to hear this, we need to do. So here's the first thing. For some of us this morning, we have never met Jesus. The, God has been a mystery to us our whole life. Maybe you're atheist or agnostic or you've, you've known God, an invention in your own mind or a religious expression of God. But at this moment, this is what's happening. God has come and said, no, now you know me. So pray this, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to know you. No more mystery between us. So, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I really believe you've been risen from the dead, and I want to be saved. I want there to be nothing between me and you anymore. And I turn, I, all my sin, my self-trusting, my darkness, what it's done. I repent. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to have unity with God and with other people. That's unnatural. I take a moment and I just say, Lord, save me now and give me eternal life. Holy Spirit, now I'd ask you to come upon our whole church here and virtually. And I would ask you now in people's minds to show us any place where we're threatening the unity of this church or unity with other churches. Holy Spirit, you're welcome right now. Bring up in our minds people, leaders, situations, or attitudes. Don't relent, Lord. Don't don't let us run from you at this moment. Force it to the surface. So some of us need to say we're sorry. Forgive us, Lord, for threatening the unity of this church or another one. Others of us need to ask forgiveness for threatening the unity of our own families. We repent. Others of us need to begin to forgive leaders or other Christians in this church or other churches because that bitterness and unforgiveness has been causing disunity in our heart. Some of us need to submit to Jesus just now and say, I'll do anything you ask of me because, you, because unity is so precious to you. Lord, forgive people, change people, convict people. Let no thought, expression, attitude of disunity reside in this place. And lastly, Holy Spirit, I'd ask you now to bring up in people's hearts and minds any lie that people have believed, telling them that they cannot go with confidence to you. I pray you'd bring up sin or history or regret, like, Lord, what is it? I pray in Jesus' name that every lie either spun by the devil, our own heart, or others that tells us that we do not have the right to enter the most holy place with confidence and freedom would be broken now in Jesus' name. I pray that everything that would say to people that they cannot enter anything demonic whispering has to leave our church now in Jesus' name. I pray, O Lord, that you would restore a deeper confidence and freedom in our prayer life in this church that our unity would be built, that we'd look at each other through the lens of equal access and that we would start more and more entering the holy place with confidence. We lastly pray, oh God, build the unity of this church. It's your will so we can pray it. Lord, build C4's unity. Help us to love each other, to forgive each other, be submissive to one another, to be led and lead well. Oh God, we pray that love would be deep in this church, that we'd look at each other through the lens of heaven, and we continue to pray, God. Holy Spirit, we ask this. You are most welcome to convict us at any time where we begin to threaten the work of God. That is the mystery of our unity. God, continue uh, to do your work among us that we've never seen before like these last two years. Lord, more renewal in personal lives, corporate revival we ask for, and we are expectant and waiting for an awakening. And we pray this for ourselves and other churches. Lord, have your way among us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. Let us sing, stand and sing to the God who has chosen to reveal himself to us this morning. Let us be thankful that we are not like other generations that did not know his face fully.